1: Hey, this is Jasmine Starr, founder of Social Curator. And if you want to learn how to curate awesome relationships in your life, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel.
0: Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on the Build Your Network podcast. Today, I have the pleasure, the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Jasmine Starr. Jasmine is a photographer and business strategist from Newport Beach, California. She dropped out of law school and became an internationally recognized entrepreneur, later became the founder of Social Curator, a social media marketing membership for business owners. Harnessing her chutzpah and hustle, Jasmine empowers entrepreneurs to build a brand, market it on social media, and create a life that they actually love. Some days you'll find her featured in Forbes Entrepreneur and Ink Magazine, but most days you'll find her in sweatpants scrolling Instagram. But her favorite days are spent with her dog and her high school sweetheart eating tacos. And uh, I just had a blast on this conversation, and I think you guys can will be able to tell once you start listening in on it. And what, the ones that are the most fun typically end up being the most valuable as well, because there's just a lot of things that Jasmine and I were agreeing on, and a couple of things that she disagreed with me on. But that's what makes for awesome conversations, I think. And so a few of the things that we talk about in this episode, why she dropped out of law school to begin with, and how she pursued photography as a career at that point, how to make sure that you're always living in the good old days, which is something that we kind of, that we touch on, we talk about for a little while and something that's super important to me now, especially having a four month old son, just trying to really savor every moment that I have. And we talk about that a good amount. And then how to finally get a seat at the table, meaning wherever you are in your industry, how to finally like play in the big leagues of whatever industry that you're in, how to finally get a seat at the table is something that we talk a lot about here on the show. But Jasmine has a really unique perspective on that, and I really appreciated what she had to say. So, so many good things here. But first, really quickly, guys, if you have not yet gotten your ticket to Build Your Network Live, it's coming up. It's coming up. It's happening really quickly out here, November 8th through 10th, 2019, in Las Vegas at Top Golf. We rented out the meeting rooms at Top Golf, so it'll be a super interesting, unique venue. It's not going to be at a hotel conference room. We're not going to do any of the boring conference-type stuff where it's going to be a lot of different activities and fun that we have planned. Also, great content. Also, great speech and uh, you will leave with some tactical practical knowledge to implement in your business but main thing though the number one thing is you're going to leave with connections with real relationships with real people who are going through a lot of the same things that you're going through, and those are the most valuable part of going to any conference. And so at this one, we're really trying to make that the biggest focus. So buildyournetworklive.com. Please, please, please go grab a ticket. General Mission, we discounted to $99. That's it, $99 for a General Mission ticket. So there's no reason to not be here. And then the VIP ones are definitely going to be worth it. They're $700, but they also include an entire additional day at the beginning of the conference with uh, dinners and activities and escape rooms and drinks and all that good stuff included in that ticket price. So both of them are a bargain. I can't wait to see you guys out here. BuildYourNetworkLive.com. Go grab your ticket today and I'll catch you out here in Vegas. And now here is my conversation that I had with Jasmine Starr. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Can't wait to get into a few things here.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm just as excited. Bring it on.
0: Always, always. Okay, so for the few people out there that may not know exactly who you are, I really, really like to go back and build a little bit of context for everybody listening. And this is the way that I normally do it. So stick with me, okay? I like to take it back, like way back, like throwback back to like 11, 12, 13-year-old Jasmine because I think there's a lot of value in seeing like how people were brought up and what influences made them make the decisions that they made to get to the point where they're at now because I doubt that you were like 11 years old and told your Career counselor that you wanted to be like a photographer and social media marketer. So I always find the, the the transition to do those things super interesting. So let's start there. Tell me about 11, 12 year old Jasmine. Like likes, dislikes, interests. Did you do well at school? Did you play sports? Like what exactly were you were you like back then?
1: You know, when I think back to eleven year old Jasmine, I just want to crawl back in history and give her a hug and say, "It's okay, girl. You'll be okay." <laughs> you know, I was eleven years old, I would. Age- 176 pounds, five foot, nothing. I weighed more than my dad. Most girls at that time are, you know, looking in their mom's closet to see what they can kind of snap from there. I was like, yo, dad, you had a another- <laughs> I think that I grew up really poor. I'm a daughter of an immigrant. And the, most of the food that we had was, thank goodness, like a donation from the United States government and people at our church. And as a result of that, we got a lot of like processed foods. And my dad, this is a random story. I don't even know where this is from, but I hate context, right? So we lived in the outskirts of Los Angeles, still in LA County, this place called La Puente. It's really like rough and tumble. And uh, we would catch the bus into a church in a local, uh, nearby area, but it was like better off. So people, you know, they had cars and they bought their clothes at Target and not at the thrift store. So we were mm. like, wow, we're moving on up. We get to go to this church and they're taking donations for us. Well, my dad got involved with that church And you would take a group of people, I'm located in Southern California, which is where my family is, but my dad still had a heart for serving people in Mexico. And so Mm -hmm. he take a group of people down to Mexico, which is about two hours from where we live in LA and the U S Mexican border. And so he would take a group of people down there. They were building an orphanage and there was this grocery store that had expired food. And they said, we really can't sell this food, but we, it's still good. It's just like dented cans and stuff like that. And so my dad said, put all the groceries in my garage and we go every three weeks to Mexico and we'll take them down there. And the grocery store was so thankful that they said, as a result of you storing this food for us, feel free to take any of the food that you want from it. So we had an expired pantry full of like the best, aka the worst food: <laughs> like, white bread, peanut butter.
0: Oh cereal. yeah, Spaghettios maybe. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, Dr. Atkins would just like cry, <laughs> and, you know, very, like protein filled tears for the stuff I was eating. So as a result, it's like just imagine, like there I was. I didn't go to school, was wildly overweight. I was homeschooled. I didn't learn how to read till I was 11. And then, but something clicked for me when I was 11. I literally went from, I don't know how to read to I was finishing novels in a day. And my mom was a total hippie. And she's just like, school, dot, dot, dot. Had this like theory, like, you'll just figure it out, you know, kid. And like, lo and behold, she was right. I sat back there with like Lucky Charms and a loaf of bread and peanut butter. And I would just eat and read all day. And it ended up being okay for me. I ended up being like a normal human being. And I think it was during that time where people sometimes ask like, oh, so were you entrepreneurial in nature? And I was like, no, like you're from the hood. Like you're just like, <laughs> what, what blue collar job is going to be available to my dad? It's not like, so there I was selling lemonade Hey, nobody driving in our neighborhood. Like, like, don't play out in the street. No, no, it was not that at all. It was not that at all.
0: So did you finish off high school being homeschooled? Or did you end up going to a a public high school or something?
1: So we moved. Um, At the summer of my, when I was 14 years old, we moved. And so I was able to start freshman year. And the reason, part of the reason we were homeschooled was because we lived in an area that just was not the type of area where you would want to go to school. And my parents Mm. just didn't really feel safe. And so we moved. Definitely to middle class, like, you know, lower middle class, but metal detectors. So started high school, finished high school. And for a girl who didn't know how to read, she was 11. I ended up getting uh, straight A's and graduated with like a 4.5 GPA and earned an academic scholarship.
0: Awesome. And what did you end up going to college for then?
1: I went to college with the aspirations of becoming a writer. And so I was placed in like English 101, you know, it's your segmented freshman writing course. And it was halfway through the semester where we actually had to turn in a full, like thought out paper thesis, the whole nine. And I'll never forget, Dr. Petrero asked to see me after class. And she didn't, she turned everybody's papers back to them except for mine. She says, Jasmine, I'd like to see you. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, went into her office and I'll never forget. There was a picture of a girl roughly my age sitting on her desk. And she explained that her daughter was in college on the East Coast and yada, yada, yada. And she said, Can I ask you a question? I said, Sure. She's like, Are your parents immigrants? I was like, Yeah, how'd you know? She's like, Is English your second language? And I'm like, No, English was my first language, but yeah, like Spanish was spoken in the home. And she had said, your writing betrays that. And I felt like my insides were like sitting at the base of her desk. It was kind of like, oh, really? And it just shook the foundation. And I look back and I kind of, I really do feel bad for the Jasmine at 18 or 19 years old because I didn't have the hutzpah or the wherewithal to kind of say like, you're not going to determine my future. But Mm. for a girl whose family never went to college, I was there in scholarship. I didn't know how it worked. I kind of just felt like, well, if she's telling me that my writing looks like it hails from an immigrant family, maybe I don't get the chops for this. I ended up, getting an A in her rather difficult class because of my determination, not because of my skill set. So the minute she said that my writing betrayed that, I just went and I looked for free resources at school. And every week I would take my papers into like student proofreaders and they would help explain why my writing took on the voice that it did. And so I ended up getting an A, but didn't I immediately change my major to business after that.
0: Oh, really? So that was enough for you to be like, you know what, maybe this isn't the path for me and then change your major. But you didn't end up finishing school though, right? You you dropped out of college?
1: No, I finished school. I graduated with a 4.0, uh magna cum laude, and I earned an academic scholarship to UCLA Law School. That's the school I dropped out of. Got
0: it. I knew that I had read that you dropped out of something. Okay. So <laughs> finished regular school. And was it like, did you finish with the business degree as well? I did. So business major. Leverage that into law school. And then in law school, you were like, yeah, screw this.
1: (laughs) Basically. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Actually. I mean, I went and again, so much of like, I, you know, when I look back at this, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago early on because I had so little dependence and knowing of the world as like a first generation, I really was looking for permission. I didn't know it then. But I Hmm. spent the vast majority of my life looking for permission to do the thing that I wanted to do. And it's just like, well, I needed permission to go to college. And so in order to get the permission, you had to get good grades. And when you were in college, I needed the permission to pursue the thing that I wanted to do. And I had a professor who said, hey, you don't have the chops for it. And so I didn't get her permission. And What I wish I could go back and tell me in college and in law school is the only person who will ever give yourself permission is you. Like the minute you're waiting for permission from somebody else to do the thing you feel you've been called to do, you are going to be wildly disappointed and desolate for the vast majority of your life. That's the thing I wish I can go back and tell myself then, tell myself now and tell anybody else who's listening. It's like permission comes only from you. And so I went to law school thinking I needed that to be the permission to pursue a socioeconomic advancement, to hmm. get my family, my dreams out of the barrio and into a different American dream. I wanted to white picket fence. And I thought that that my juris doctor was going to get that for me. It wasn't until I realized that I was there, I was wildly unhappy. I was depressed. I was stressed. I was overwhelmed, but I just thought I looked around and everybody else was stressed, depressed, and overwhelmed. It's law school. Nobody's like, Oh, this is like pink fairies and rainbows. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay. This is what I do. And then my first year of law school, my mom had a relapse of brain cancer. She was diagnosed when I was a junior in college mm-hmm. and the doctors had said, you know, she's battled eight years at her time had come. And that, that just shook everything that just yeah. shook my entire life.
0: Yeah. So I want to, talk about that for sure but let's go back to like that the permission thing that you were saying why do you think it is that we feel like we need permission in order to be able to be able to chase our dreams or accomplish our goals maybe in a realm that we're not already familiar with why, why do you think that we default to asking others permission instead of giving ourselves permission
1: I can't answer for anybody who's listening I can only answer for myself. And it isn't until I did the deep work and the heavy lifting to understand that I was looking for permission to be absolved from responsibility so that if it didn't work out, I could Mm. say, you know what? That's because, like, if Dr. Potrero had told me, it sounds like you hail from an immigrant family, and I still pursued my English degree, and I put out my book, and it failed, I could say, you know what? It's because I didn't listen to her. It's because, like, she saw it, and I would be looking for somebody else to take responsibility when the only responsibility, everything, is a risk. Doing nothing is a risk.
0: The biggest one.
1: Absolutely. And we look for permission to mask responsibility. And now I'm saying every decision I make good, bad, and ugly, it's on me. I don't need you to give me the permission because you might give me the permission and I fail. I might give myself the permission and I fail. Either way, permission is disguised as the lack of accountability. And now hmm, it feels so good to say the buck stops with me. The buck stops with me and the buck starts with me.
0: Exactly. That right there is the key, I think, Jasmine, because a lot of people want to take responsibility when things are going well. But then when they're going poorly, they want to blame it on everything else. And it's like, look, do one or the other. Either anything good that happens in your life, blame it on other people. Anything bad happens in your life, blame it on other people. But if you're going to, you can't just like pick and choose which things you're going to take responsibility for. Mm-hmm. You just have to like own everything in life. And there's such control and power that comes along with that. Even taking responsibility for things that are seemingly legitimately out of your control and taking responsibility and taking ownership behind those things. And, um, i just, has always given me such a huge sense Of control over like what's going on in my life, and if you're always just a victim of circumstances, then there's literally nothing that you can ever do to make your circumstances any better. So, may as well just take radical responsibility and take control so that you can actually fix and change some things and move forward.
1: One hundred. Are you going to drop your podcasting mic right now?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If if it weren't on this awesome boom arm, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we're on the same page there. Taking responsibility, I think. Is like top two or three things that every every person really should do, but every entrepreneur specifically, because there's so many pitfalls and there's so many obstacles and things that come along the, the path along the way. That it would be so easy to blame on other things and blame on circumstances and to say, "Oh, you know, it was just a tough time in my life. I had some personal issues going on, so I, that was the reason exactly. why."
1: We all have issues,
0: exactly. Is exactly. But
1: tell me somebody who doesn't have disappointment. Tell me somebody who doesn't have failures on a daily basis, and I'm gonna tell mm-hmm. you, there's somebody who's not successful that's just
0: how it goes exactly exactly that's 100% something that I've been telling people a lot lately is like show me somebody who's never show me someone who's never failed and I'll show you someone who's never succeeded you know it's just like it's just part of the process and I think I think it stems from the fact that people fear the wrong thing I think people fear failure and embarrassment more than they fear regret and more than they fear accomplishing more than they fear not accomplishing their dreams and goals for their life because that to me is the ultimate form of fear Right. You know what?
1: I would even take it one step further. Is the fact that many of us, which is why here's this is where where it was a block for me for so long, is that like, yeah, I had this nebulous idea of fear of failure, but it, it wasn't like I held on to it and I said this is the thing that stopped me. What it was was the fear of failure and having people see me in that way. I was unafraid to fall off a bike, but I was more afraid to fall off a bike in front of the neighborhood bullies. All of a sudden we start our businesses in the same thing. We're not afraid to do the thing we want to do. We're not afraid to test it. We're afraid to have other people see it, have an opinion, and then judge us on it. The minute I let it go, the minute I let judgment from other people who ain't paying my bills, <laughs> who I don't know personally, and who are sitting in sweatpants on an overstuffed couch in the middle of nowhere, have an opinion on my business by you're not stopping me.
0: So was there a catalyst, like a certain point in your business where you were like, buck stops here, I can't keep listening to what people think about me? Or was it a gradual, slow process that happened over time? Because it's super easy to say it, right? But then the first time, because a lot of times it's not even just the person sitting on the couch in their sweatpants who has no bearing on your life. A lot of times it's the people that are closest to us that just don't understand what we're up to right? Like family, close friends, you know, parents, people who just want to hang out or go to the bar and they're just like, Oh, you're always working. You're always doing this. And doesn't seem to be working out for you You should get a real job. Like all those, the people in your life that are the most the people that you would think would support you and everything that you are, oftentimes the people that are nagging you to stop. And I don't think necessarily it's from like a point of jealousy or like, I wish I were doing what you're doing. But a lot of times it's from that genuine caring of like, I want the best for you. And I don't feel like what you're doing is best for you. How do you move past a lot of those things?
1: I will say, I will say that I feel very fortunate to have parents who really, who loved us more than their opinions weighed. Having said that, they never said, why are you doing this? They never said you should stop. But I will say that when you hail as immigrants and then you have like a daughter who's just like, oh, hey, I want to drop at a law school and I want to become a photographer. I don't have a camera, but trust me. you know like i mean anybody would be like um mija are you sure this is the thing you should be doing okay (laughs) kind of like it it was in every iteration of the business was like oh how are paying your bills go to this day being a decade as an entrepreneur my beautiful sweet amazing brother who's about to be 30 comes to our house just last week and my husband's like yeah I'm like let's go out let's let's hang out I'll take you to the movies we'll go to dinner and he's like oh I know that you guys closed the photography studio a couple years ago you know money must be tight for you so I got it I got you and we're like we look around and we're like we've never been this successful ever homie Like, understand like Internet, you know? In the back of their mind, they're just like they always feel like they're one step away from losing their house. Because here's another thing: I as a child watched my father lose our house three times over. That stuff is no joke. That stuff will beat the core of your belief. So when you have a child who's not out there like focusing on, like, dad, I have my retirement plan, my 401k, which I do, but like outside of the context of it coming from like a county job, it's really scary. So I take their opinions. And like my in-laws are elementary school teachers. They are all about like their long-term plan. They're about their stipends or about like safety and fortitude. So I know that their questions come always from a really good place, but wildly misunderstanding. Hmm. It is not my objective to educate you. It is not my objective to get you on my side. My success will silence your doubts. And thank Hmm. you, sweet baby Jesus, a decade, Has been silent. So y'all can have opinions, but they can't stop me from doing what I do because I see a future that nobody else sees. That's what makes me a visionary. If you're a visionary and you see it, just shut your mouth and do the work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely agree with that. So just kind of out of the blue here to ask a question just on the personal story again, going back to when you were in college or when you were in law school and you decided to drop out to pursue photography. Why photography? Like, what was that? Was it an attraction to the art form? Did you see the potential to make money? Was it a combination of the two? Or was it just like, I need to do something that feeds my soul because law school is just sucking everything out of me?
1: If there was a box that said all of the above, that's the one I would. (laughs) Okay. I went to a small private liberal arts college. And so they didn't have a formal photography department, but every other semester they offered one photography class. And I happened to enroll in it and it was sociology through photography. And man, I loved it. It was just like, I just was lit up about it. I was developing my own photos. I was just like, this is amazing. But like for a girl from the hood, having fun, developing photos is not a career. Like mm. that's not what you do. That was so far out of my imagination. I drop out of law school. My mom is really sick. The doctors give her a few months to live. And I should actually come out and say that my mom is still with us today, which was a total miracle. She's the north star as to like the wake up call in my life. I believe mm. everything happens for a reason, and she had to go through what she did to like have life stop me, slap me in the face, and say you're going in the wrong direction. Mm. So I'm so indebted the fact that she had sacrificed her life to have for me to have a wake up call. But it was at that time. So I leave law school and I move back home because. I'm on full scholarship. I have no money. I can't pay my rent in LA because I ain't got a job and I just want <laughs> my mom get better. So I move home and I had been dating my boyfriend for about nine and a half years at this time. And in my plan, let me finish school, then we'll get married. Like hmm. we met when we were in high school, we were just kids. And then I had a conversation and I was just like, listen, you and I have been wanting to get married. I want my mom to see us get married. And so we quickly made the decision to get married. 20 people in Hawaii. We planned it in less than three months. And she, against all odds, walked me down the aisle.
0: It's and amazing. At
1: wedding, I saw this guy who we flew from Santa Barbara, California to Hawaii to shoot our wedding. And I was like, that guy has my dream life. He has my dream life. And so then in the time span of us Getting married in September, I got a letter from UCLA to say, hey, it's time for you to come back and enroll to pick up your second semester where you left off, get your scholarship money, blah, blah, blah. I had like months to be like, that's a business. Like people make money with their camera. And then I was just like
0: traveling to Hawaii.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, and his, and he had a lucrative career. And so I talked to my husband and I said, like, he asked me one question. He's like, if you could do one thing for the rest of your life. And be happy, what would it be? And I said, I want to be a photographer. And when he said, But you don't have a camera, I was like, I know, but I think if I got one, it could work. The greatest gift any life partner or business partner could ever give you is the ability to believe in something that is so stupidly far fetched and say, Hmm. Hey, let's try it. And he said, Let's try (laughs) it for a year. And then if it fails, you can go back to law school. And I was like, Okay, that's a pretty good plan B.
0: Awesome.
1: And then, uh, business in two, like business took off in 2007. And then by 2009, we were voted one of the top wedding photographers in the world. And then iterations, we started shooting different types of photography, taking on different types of clients, shooting for magazines. And then by 2010, one of the most influential photographers. And then by 2012, Huffington Post, most socially influential photographers. Like the business just took off as a result. And I think it's when you're in alignment to your purpose and your passion, the universe can't help, but help you.
0: So during that time, were you doing something like when you're trying to get the business off, off the ground, were you doing something for full-time income while trying to work that on the side? Was your husband yeah, working? What, how did that, how did that happen? Oh,
1: that's another, oh man. Okay, John, we're getting into the hot mess. <laughs> and it's like, you know how some people have like their life together. I imagined us together and like had their life plan on an Excel spreadsheet. Cause that was my life. And with everything happened to my mom, it was like, let's just burn the Excel spreadsheet. So he was with a startup company at the time. And I mean, legitimately, we were getting paid in like a bag of oranges and pesos. It was just like, we were not making like that. That that income came like every third year on leap year. You know, it's like, yeah, it was, that's what we were doing. Let
0: me ask you this. let me interject real quick. How awesome were those times though?
1: Oh, the freaking best. There was this one Chinese takeout place by our house that it was like they call it the one dollar combo meal. Like whatever you have on this line of Chinese fast food was one dollar. So we would go in, we would spend four dollars, we would share this combo meal, and we would have to share our fortune cookie.
0: Let me that
1: food was so nasty. But when you're sitting across somebody who loves you, who thinks you're grazing, baby, eat those carbs. Dip it in. Life is
0: good. Life is yeah, good. nothing worse than sharing a fortune cookie because it's like, <laughs> whose fortune is this? We'll never know, I guess. Like, I don't know how that works.
1: Right, that's what we, yeah.
0: <laughs> we are one, also, so right, yeah, exactly. That's right. That's so great. funny. Yeah. My wife and I, uh, we're, we're, my wife and I are also sw- high school sweethearts. We started dating the summer before our senior year of high school. So yeah. Oh, really awesome. Yeah. So when he was saying that, cause we got married when I was 21 and bought a house immediately. So it was like all of a sudden going from like living with mom and dad, just finished school to married with a mortgage to pay. And like all of a sudden I have to support somebody else and stuff. And and I did, I was in door-to-door sales for like five or six years during like that first initial like transition period, hundred percent commission door-to-door sales. So it was very very interesting transitional times where like we lived in an extended stay waiting for a house to close escrow for like four months or excuse me for like four weeks uh, a little bit over a month actually with like a six-month-old puppy and uh, just like we look back on those times now and it's just like man that's crazy that that's like that's what we were willing to do to live life that's what we were willing to do in order to build the life that we really wanted to live and looking back on those times like Some of our best times where it was just like me and her and a little puppy, like just chasing after dreams, even at 21 years old. And uh, those are some of the best times looking back on it. Like everybody has it confused, I think, and they link the external to happiness and fulfillment instead of the internal to happiness and fulfillment. It always leads to a path of chasing after what other people think happiness and fulfillment means for you instead of chasing after what you know happiness and fulfillment means to you. Uh, Just so confusing.
1: Morning just along the same line. And that was, if you are perpetually chasing after happiness, you're letting the moments that are currently existing drip to the floor, like an expensive oil. I was just like, that is so true that in the process of chasing an illusion of happiness, we miss the memories that happen today. So there's okay. At the very, I don't know. Did you watch the office? Oh yeah. Okay, the last episode, one of the key lines that years later after watching the last episode of The Office, they had said, I wish we had known we were living in the good old days.
0: Yeah, Andy says that, yeah. Andy! You're talking to a huge office fanatic. So uh I can definitely picture exactly what we're talking about. It makes me choke up every freaking time when Creed is sitting there playing the guitar as with the giant beard before he goes to jail. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Like I I wish he's he said something like that. Yeah. Like I, I wish there was a way to know that you were in the good old days when you're actually in them. Cause he's the guy on the show that's always living in his college days, always talking about Cornell and how amazing it was. And then, and then he leaves the office and he's like, man, oh, I wish I would have remembered that these were the good old days. And the, and the point being that like, all the days are the good old days. If you can be in them and be present, like, you'll always, always, always come away with like, a greater amount of fulfillment and happiness than you would if you're always constantly looking and living in the future that hasn't happened yet.
1: And to, have, to think that like the office would have a profound effect on my business is like on really hard days because there are very, very punch in the gut days when you run a business. And I remind myself, is like, I'm going to look back at this and remember that these were the good old days. And it's Damn. just a total reframe. It's a total reframe. Like I'm look back at this and be like, dang girl, you are having your $4 combo meal. You better forget it. Yeah,
0: right. Well, and and because I think comes with like a profound understanding that there are no times in your life that will always be 100% easy. So having that understanding and knowing that like there's never going to come a time no matter how successful no matter how rich no matter how famous no matter how many relationships or how abundant my life is there will never be a time where there are zero bad times. So if you're always waiting for this like manifestation of this life that has zero obstacles and zero problems then you will be waiting for the rest of your life. So you may as well figure out a way to reframe and enjoy those times just as much as the good times because they're never going to go away.
1: Heck yes because Biggie Small said more money more problems (laughs) exactly i I don't get this like i don't get this like my life hasn't gotten easier the more money i've made in fact it's gotten like infinitely more complicated and more difficult and you want to know what I've loved it in the same proportion.
0: Yep. I was thinking that the other day. I was I was getting super stressed. We're, we're throwing our first live event at the beginning of November and uh, we, we have like two or three other things that are going on. I was just like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? <laughs> I was <laughs> like, I, like I, could, I could make a cool six figures at some sales job being like a solopreneur, like come home, actually be focused on like just having fun and relaxing. I was like, what am I doing this for? <laughs> and uh, it was just one of those times. It was just a total reframe of like, you know what? This is what I signed up for. This is part of the process and I have to learn how to enjoy these times just as much as like the high of putting on an event or like having a successful month or something like that it's um, all part of the process you have to learn to love the process or so you're never going to make it through to the to the final destination. Oh what's up everyone just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app himalaya if you're not listening to podcasts on this new app you're definitely missing out it's like a social media app but for podcast listeners follow your go-to shows like and comment on your favorite episodes and download professionally curated playlists made just for you so head on over to your app store or google play store and download himalaya today and thank me later So we got a little off track there, but it was all good stuff. So I like to make sure that we can squeeze that for all it's worth. So coming back a little bit into your story. Let's talk a little bit networking here because the show's called Build Your Network. And I have to assume, because I, I we have a, a few overlapping parts in our story here with the high school sweetheart thing. And then I actually, one of my first entrepreneurial ventures was in photography, shooting weddings, different things like that as well. And so um, I know that there are a lot of obstacles when you're first getting started in terms of your like skills as a photographer, but also in your ability to book business and create relationships with customers and, and clients. So I'm curious to know, first of all, this is the question I ask everybody uh, about the networking situation every guest that's ever come on the show has had to answer this question. So I'm going to ask this first, then we'll get into a little bit more tactical, practical things, okay? okay? I have to
1: say before you ask right now, I can't, I'm literally sitting behind my mic and I'm laughing because I'm scared about the question you're going to ask. <laughs> really no, don't be,
0: no, don't, you know, don't be. Networking
1: don't be. makes me scared.
0: Cringe, like, all yeah. The
1: all the hours, it doesn't make me cringe. It just makes me be like, oh Jesus, take the wheel. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, so question is more philosophical, high-level approach, okay? <laughs> Who you know, versus what you know, which one is more important and why do you think that?
1: Here's the thing, you're gonna have a very hard pressed to find somebody who is like worse at networking than me. So giving these two options, I say what you know, contingent on if you share it. Because the thing that I have discovered is for all of my inability to walk in a network, for my inability to ask for what I want, for my inability to come in and not like be wildly awkward in front of a group of people, for my inability to feel confident as the, the story and my past as a precursor of my future, that what I knew, the little I knew, the nothing I knew, and my ability to openly share it on the internet, that created a tribe and you share that, you put it out, the tribe comes to you so you don't have to network anymore. And I feel like that's been the foundation of my business. So given those two options, I would take the latter contingent on it.
0: So I'll say this, the networking that you just described is the networking that I teach. So the show is called Build Your Network because I'm trying to show people how to do it the 2019 way and not the 1983 way. I think that most people are really, really stuck in the 1980s version of networking where they think it's all about connecting with people on a similar level, exchanging contact information and booking business from your cocktail mixer that had 100 people at it and you have 3,000 business cards just in case type thing, right? So like, I'm trying to move people away from that old style of like exchange contact information into this new style of exactly what you just said, creating and sharing valuable things to add value to other people's lives, their, their by like creating influence for yourself to come in and add more and more value to other people's lives, which also helps you to be able to network on a higher level. So my biggest problem with people like in traditional forms of quote unquote, networking, is that uh, it's all about networking out, meaning that you're going to go network with a bunch of people who are on the same level that you are on. And I think that that's a fundamental flaw in your foundation of your network. Because if you're not constantly reaching up on to people who are on higher levels than you are, then you're always going to be operating at the same level. And you might be able to get like incrementally better at what you do by hanging out with people who are just as good as you are or on that same level, but you're never going to experience that exponential growth because you're always only hanging out with people who are on the same level as you are. And they're not going to be able to help you jump and skip levels like the people who are up here. And so what you're talking about is networking on a whole new level. It's giving you the ability now to build relationships with With all the amazing influential people that you now know, and the people that are in your network now, that you would have not been able to before had you just been like the "let's go to the next cocktail mixer and here's my business card" type person, if that makes sense. So I I would argue that you are a very good networker, and that you are not a bad networker. You're just doing it the right way and the new way instead of trying to do it the old way.
1: And you know, here's the thing: no tea, no shade. If your skill set is to be the person who can work the room, because here's the thing: now that I've got to this point in my career, I. Go to networking events like when I have to. I'll go to them and I see people, and I'm like, you're a freaking unicorn. You're in your place of power, you're doing it right. So you probably would not be good at what I do in the capacity I'm good at it. And just in the same way I'm not as good as you are. And then when it came to like that second tier, like if you're only networking with people of your similar stature, you only stay in that area. I would kind of say that the approach that I took to that, because that's what I did as I grew the business is I realized that the people, the haves in the industry did not care to associate with the have not. And so I kind of took like this anarchist, like troop, you know, like what is that? Troop Beverly Hills, Bad News Bears. I'm like, hey, if we do what we have We're independently, not as good as they are, but collectively we can do something. I realized that I was actually kind of good at reaching out to the bad news bears, pulling our resources to do something different. That the only way the haves look at the haves nots with interest is if the have nots are doing more with less. If you do more with less, then you have a seat at the table. And I've always realized that if you shut your mouth, keep your head down, do the work, and you do more with less, you will eventually make it to the table with the haves. And guess what? You will remember the times that they didn't speak to you. You will remember when they didn't take your call. You will remember when they ignored your email and all of a sudden they ask you to come in and say, okay, I see you, boo. I yeah. see you. but I'm still <laughs> playing my own game.
0: What, what's that like? I've never, never been ignored before. Jasmine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's like three people right now that have been ignoring me for like three months, but I still reach out.
1: Who are they? <laughs> Let's go and do something right now. Let's do something right now to be like, bro, FOMO, FOMO. <laughs>
0: You yeah, should,
1: You should be feeling like you're missing out on this party Just say
0: That is definitely By the way, I love that attitude That has gotten me more like interviews and relationships Than most of the things that I do Which is the I'm not going places because of you connecting with me I'm going places regardless of you connecting with me And you might want to be one of the people that said That you had a hand in where I went when I get there So let's do this anyway <laughs> You know
1: Pop that up
0: Shoot. Yeah in the back I guess. <laughs> okay, so photography business networking—did that have anything to do with it, or was, was it just like you were you focused so much on the skill set that you um, that you started really attracting a ton of your new clients in?
1: No, I was terrible. But I was terrible. Like I was so bad. I don't know if I mentioned, but my dad is a pastor of a church in East LA. Long live nepotism. Or at least I thought, I I thought that finally years of being a pastor's kid would pay off because people would be guilted into letting me take photos of them because I mean, for free. Right. I don't want to have their photo taken for free. And people just said, no, no, no. And I was like, dude, that is not godly. <laughs> is not godly
0: okay?
1: but, um. So yeah, I was bad. I was so bad that people were saying no to free photos. And so to offset that, I just started to share the process. And whenever you share your process, photography, baking cakes, walking dogs, making jewelry, whenever you share the process, it betrays a level of authenticity and vulnerability that people identify with on such a deep level that they're willing to pay you, even though you're not the best. I maintain that to this day, that the more I show up and the more I give and the more I share You can't help, but see a bit of yourself, even if you're not even doing the thing that I want to do because internal human struggle and vulnerability translates across industry cultures, genres, sexes. And I think that that was the linchpin to the success of my career. I just shared and Hmm. people hired me not because I was good or smart or cute or witty or funny or talented. None of that. They hired me because I was me. And the more Mm. that we can share exactly what makes us special, and guess what? It ain't your camera. It ain't the leashes. It ain't your jewelry. It's you. You share that. You're in business.
0: Absolutely love that. Message out to everybody who's sitting there listening to this, struggling with that that horrible, horrible case of imposter syndrome, which is something that we've all had to go through because I didn't share my story for a long time, Jasmine. When I started my show, I had that internal belief that like, who's gonna listen to me? Who's gonna pay attention to me? You know, I'm just some 24-year-old door-to-door salesman that why is anybody gonna listen? So there's so many other people they can listen to. And it took me like literally a year of creating my show. I only did interviews because I was like, nobody wants to hear from me. And uh, it took me a year to understand that like people don't listen and to consume my content because of how amazing it is. They consume the content because they resonate with me There's something about my story that resonates with them more than somebody else's story Regardless of how successful or unsuccessful the other person might be because you compare yourself to a ton of other people And there's so many people in this space that it's like man Why would somebody listen to my show instead of like gary Vee or tom billy or jordan harbinger or some of these other people? And uh, the answer is that because i'm me Because I'm me, somebody's gonna listen to me rather than somebody else just because of my story and the things that I have to share. And a lot of times you're even more relatable when you're at the beginning part of the process. When you're trying to make something happen out of nothing, your story's insanely relatable because that's where everybody's listening, like that's where they're at at the same time. Like they're trying to make stuff happen.
1: We'll just take like a little side set in the time out because there is a segment of people who are listening and be like, dude, this is so woo-woo. Like this is to like after-school special, Hallmark Christmas television revival. Okay. (laughs) Listen, that might work some people. If you are of that following, guess what? You still ain't got an answer because it's not or it's and. When we're sitting here and Travis is saying, oh, well, they could be listening to Gary. They could be listening to Tom Bilyeu. Right. But it's not it's not that they're just picking one podcast. Even if you don't buy into the fact that your story matters, buy into the fact that it's not or, it's and they hmm. could listen to your podcast. They could listen to 87 others. It's not an or, it's an and. And if that becomes your mantra, that hey, I suck, I'm not good. Guess what, baby boo? You ain't competition with Gary B. You, I could listen to your podcast and 87 other podcasts too it's and.
0: Yeah, that changing from the scarcity mindset to the abundance mindset. Man, so much amazing things here, Jasmine. I'm sure we could chat for a really, really long time. But since we're coming up kind of towards the end here, give me your top like one or two things. Now that you are somebody who has built a lot of influence in a prominent and crowded industry, talk to me about like the top one or two things that you do now to focus on building really good quality relationships with other people that help sharpen you.
1: I encourage people to do The dumb, the slow, the unscalable, the sexy, the unsexy, the boring, and the hard. Like people talk about influence and I'm like, I don't give a rip. I don't give a rip how many numbers I have because the same behavior that grew my audience to this point is the exact same behavior that I have deployed year after year after year. You DM me, I'm responding. I ask questions in my stories and I freaking respond to them. I respond to my comments. I respond to my email. I respond to my tweets. I respond to comments on YouTube. I respond and I'm putting out content on TikTok, or at least trying to, because that's a scary platform to me. I'm not <laughs> pulling it. I respond to comments on Facebook. I respond to comments on LinkedIn. Like I care about the one. And the beauty about that message is if you have 10 followers or 10 million followers, when you care about the one. That has a transformative effect on your social influence, 100%. You show somebody you care, you have a a follower, friend, and fan for life.
0: Uh, man, that's such an amazing point. I actually just put out a video on that literally like four or five days ago on my YouTube channel. That's it was just about that. Because that, Gary Vee was the first one that I heard that concept from. And he had a, a wallpaper at the time. This is when I first started my show. And it was just simply a one, a greater than sign and a zero. And the whole premise is like, if you have somebody that's paying attention, you have to treat that somebody like you have a million people because that's the, that's the thing is like people are like, well, I don't have to be consistent or the show doesn't have to be as good quality. I don't have to worry about getting good guests. I don't have to worry about my content production as much because you know, there's only three people that are listening anyway. So once I get to like 10,000, 20,000 people, like then I'll, I'll pay more attention. Then I, I won't miss a Friday. Then then I'll bring on good quality guests. And it's like, no, because you're never gonna get to those 20,000 people. You're taking those people's time for granted. You have to be willing to like sit there and truly get in this like thankful and appreciative state that like, you know what, out of the 750,000 podcasts, out of the half a billion YouTube channels that exist, this person is taking the time, their quality time, out of their day to sit there and listen to something that I have to say. And that is an amazing thing, especially because like the only way that was possible 15, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, was getting like syndicated on a radio network or television network. And the fact that I can sit here in my home and record into a freaking little microphone like this, and like somebody in Singapore can pull it up and get value and reach out to me and say, thanks. Like that's a mind blowing, amazing concept. And people don't take the time to sit there and be thankful for each and every little, like each and every step of the process. And so they'll never get to that 20,000, that 25,000, a hundred thousand person mark because they don't even appreciate the two or three that are paying attention right now. And man, it's such an amazing point. If you can't tell, I get fired up about it because I think that it's something that so many people miss. They're always looking in the future at like, well, once I have a million followers and it's like, well, you don't even treat the three that you have right now well. What makes you think that they're going to tell their friends and family about it? How are you going to get to that point if you're not willing to treat them like they are a million people? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up a great point. So I had to expound on it a little bit. With my, with my opinion.
1: In a nutshell, I'll say what my daddy said. Dance with the boy who took you to prom. (laughs) Serve serve your followers well. Yeah. Dance with them. Make them feel seen. That's it. It's not hard. It is not hard.
0: People will never remember what you say, but they will always remember how you make them feel. Yeah. So true.
1: Angelou. Man, that queen.
0: Yeah. Cool. Jasmine, let's go ahead and we're kind of running out of time here. Let's head into the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Yes. What profession other than your own, do you think that it would be fun to attempt?
1: I always thought I would like to be a comedy writer. Seriously? Yeah.
0: That is me too. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's like literally why I do everything I do now, so that in the future I don't have to worry about money coming in, and I can just like <laughs> write comedy all day. I just yeah. I think it
1: would be so rad to sit in a writer's room. I know it's a lot of hard work, and I know it's yeah. and I know it's like thankless, and I know it's like your tiny you know name at the end at end credit. But
0: it's also one of the scariest things I could think of doing is stand up comedy.
1: Oh, totally. Oh man. Totally. To, to, to work on a sitcom though, like The Office. Oh gosh. Mindy Kaling is basically a walking unicorn. I just love her. I love, yeah. love what she said. Anyway, okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. So if you could sit on a park bench with someone and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why?
1: Michelle Obama. I would love to hear like what it means to be a strong, powerful woman with a seemingly healthy relationship, motherhood, ambition, articulation, and succeeding against the odds.
0: How do you like to consume content, books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos?
1: All of the above. It depends on the mood, but yeah, I consume audio when I want to be doing other things and I read when I want to turn my brain off. Sorry. (laughs) It's fine. Now, oh my gosh, your dog is going to make my dog bark.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is one of the, you know, one of the many uh, scourges of working from home is, uh, dogs barking in the background of a podcast episode. If
1: the dog barks, I take it as a good sign. It's a sign of good luck.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I watch videos. I watch videos when, when I just wanted to like chill.
0: Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: Oh, I am so predictable. I wake up at four 30. I stretch, I pray, I read, I meditate. I take a warm bath. I start working at five with a cup of tea. I do the creative work, the space that I need in silence to be honest, un- like not distracted. And then at seven, I wake up, make coffee, walk the dog with my husband, work out at eight, come back. I'm back in the chair around nine in the morning and uh, from there. But I do the same thing every single day. It is like clockwork.
0: What is your go-to pump-up song?
1: Lil Joe, All the Way Up, and right now, Glorious Macklemore, like a mix between the two. Yeah.
0: What is something that you are not very good at?
1: Oh, there's so many things I can't even list. Oh, I'm not, I'm not very good at cooking.
0: <laughs> there, there you go. That's a good one. That's another thing that we have in common.
1: <laughs> okay. So my husband is phenomenal at cooking. Thank God, or else we would like starve. And so yesterday he was out, he was at home and I had to like make dinner and he literally left a solution on the stove. And I was like, oh, you know what? This looks too complicated. I'm going to tell you what I ate and it is absolutely so disgusting, but I was just like, I got it done. Egg white <laughs> omelet with spinach. And then I put marinara sauce on top <laughs>
0: <laughs> so wrong. I want to slap my fellow
1: self in the face for that. Listen, it took me five minutes. I ate it. It was healthy. It's
0: nutrition. It's nutrition. Yeah. <laughs> my version of cooking is either grilled cheese sandwiches or Uber Eats. So it's not oh, much better. Yeah. <laughs> As we get everything wrapped up here, Jasmine, what's one place online where we can find you the most?
1: You can find me at jasminestar.com and that links out to Social Curator, my monthly social media membership for small business owners and social media. You can find me at Jasminestar.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Go over to jasminestar.com and check out some of Jasmine's stuff. She is constantly putting out amazing content. And if you are in the entrepreneurial space, which if you're listening to this show, you probably are, then you're going to want to go to jasminestar.com. Learn more about her. Follow her on Instagram. Her Instagram's amazing. Um, she does some awesome things over there. If you, uh, Especially if you're a small business owner, check out some of her stuff. I promise, I promise, I promise you will get a tremendous amount of value from anything that she puts out. Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It seriously, had a fantastic time. I'm talking with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Also, if you have not yet registered for my live event out here at Top Golf behind MGM in Las Vegas this coming November, then you're going to want to head to buildyournetworklive.com to do that right away. Seating is extremely limited, so you need to act fast on this. Head to buildyournetworklive.com to grab your ticket today. Trust me you are going to want to be a part of this inaugural live event so that in 10 years from now, you can brag about being one of the founding members. Plus, you know me, I promise I will overdeliver deliver on value and make it worth way more than you are going to invest to get here. So have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.